Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a student of the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, welcome, and thank you so much for making that decision to start to listen to my podcast, and hopefully you're listening to others as well. My podcasts are appetizers, and I hope it encourages you to dig deeper into the Word. And if you're a long-time student, thank you so much for deciding to listen to my podcast as well. And I hope that you pray about how potentially you could share this information with others. I hope you are blessed by this podcast, and I look forward to getting feedback from you. If you have comments or questions or concerns, please leave it on my website, studentofthebible.com. Welcome to my podcast series on Mary, the mother of God, and Joseph, his earthly dad. During this series, I'm hoping to share with you some information on what life was most likely like for this young couple 2,000 years ago. First, can you imagine having the title Mother of God or Earthly Dad of God? You know, being a mom or a dad comes with a lot of responsibility, but can you just imagine being the mother or earthly father of God, you definitely would not want to screw this up. We laugh that when your kids are born, they don't come with an instruction manual or an on-off switch. As parents, we continually second-guess our parenting decisions. But truly, just for a minute, think about this. How would you parent God? Would you discipline him? Would he even need discipline? I would not want to be the one who spanked baby Jesus. You know, as parents, you often fantasize when you look down at your tiny baby's face, like, gosh, I wonder what they're going to be when they grow up. A doctor, a painter, a scientist, or president of the United States. Okay, well, maybe not that one. But this baby comes with a title, and it's pretty darn awesome. Emmanuel, son of God, counselor, prince of peace. You know, when you look at a baby and you try to figure out who do they look like? Uh, maybe they have Uncle Fred's bald head or Aunt Ruth's double chin or your great grandmother's eyes. But for Mary and Joseph, they looked down into the face of God. Whoa. You're probably familiar with the rather unusual circumstances surrounding Mary's pregnancy. The gospel writer Luke, who we understand to have been a very learned Greek Gentile and a physician, he tells us that Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. Doctors, even 2,000 years ago, knew how babies were made. Interestingly, unlike Matthew's gospel account of the birth of Jesus, which is told from Joseph's perspective, Luke's gospel account of Jesus's birth seems to have been told from Mary's perspective. And Luke tells us, which he believes to be true, that Mary was visited by an angel and was told that she, a virgin, was to bear a son. 
as a doctor, Luke would know that, honestly, every birth is a miracle in a way. But what Mary tells him is really and truly a miracle of unprecedented proportion. As a doctor, Luke is a man of science. As a Greek, Luke is a man of detail. And as a non-Jew, Luke is going to be super skeptical of these wild claims of a virgin pregnancy. And so Luke starts his gospel by explaining all the research he's done to validate what he's about to tell us. This is in Luke chapter 1 at the very beginning, verses 1 through 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from whom the very first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, the word Theophilus literally means those who love God. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught, unquote. Now, after this introduction, Luke takes us to our first miraculous birth, but a miraculous birth through natural means. We find out that an old priest by the name of Zechariah and his childless wife Elizabeth are going to have a son that shall be named John. This is going to be John the Baptist. Now, this story is incredible because Zechariah, while he's lighting the candles in the temple, is visited by an angel named Gabriel. And he's told that his prayers have been heard and that his wife is going to bear him a son. He learns that this child will be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth and that he will bring many back to the Lord their God through him and that this child of theirs will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. We also learn from Luke that Zechariah is struck with an inability to speak again until his child is born, named, and circumcised. So right away, we know that Dr. Luke is telling us a pretty incredible story. It's kind of like he's building us up to the most incredible part of the story, which is going to be a virgin birth. Again, Luke is going to provide some very important details. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 37. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Or some of your translations may say, for nothing is impossible with God. Unquote. And then I think we probably learn more about Mary in the next sentence than in the whole rest of the Bible. This is how she replies in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Unquote. Wow. First, did you notice that Mary was not scolded like Zechariah was? Luke tells us that when the angel came to Zechariah and told him Elizabeth was pregnant, he asked the angel Gabriel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. <laughs> He's really letting him have it here. Gabriel has serious street cred. Listen to this. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you're going to be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time, unquote. So we have the reaction, how can I be sure of this? Versus Mary's innocent reaction, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary isn't asking for proof. She's just asking, how did it happen? Honestly, she's probably thinking that her sex ed class definitely gave her false information. I knew it. I knew kissing could get me pregnant. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Mary. But we learned very quickly from her response to the angel's incredible news that this is a young girl of great faith. Being a young, unmarried, pregnant female in ancient Jewish societies, not an ideal situation. We don't know about Mary's economic situation, but Nazareth at the time was a really small town, probably of about 500 people. And so chances are, Mary was from a family of modest means. Perhaps you have heard this story from the viewpoint that Mary would have been shamed that she was not married and pregnant. Well, there's been some interesting research done in this area, and I found this perspective very interesting. This was actually what was written in Christianity Today, and so I'm going to uh, quote it to you. Mary was betrothed to Joseph which was a legally binding arrangement in the Jewish culture. All that awaited the couple was the wedding. If 
They engaged in sexual intercourse with each other before the actual wedding day. That was not seen as a violation of any cultural norm. Later rabbinic writings allowed that a future groom who had sexual relations with his bride-to-be at her father's house was not guilty of immoral behavior. If pregnancy occurred before the wedding, this was not a problem because the parentage of the child was secured. What is shocking is that Mary is pregnant and Joseph knows he's not the father. The problem is not that a betrothed couple had sex, but that presumably Mary had sex with another man. She committed adultery, unquote. So it's not so much perhaps that Mary was with child, it's that Joseph knows he's not the dad. We learn from the Gospel of Matthew that Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant and decides he should quietly divorce her. While we really don't know much about Joseph, the fact that Matthew tells us this honestly speaks volumes about the type of man that Joseph is. In Jewish society during this time, Joseph really would have had two options at his disposal. Divorce Mary or have her stoned which was his legal right because she has committed adultery. The Bible tells us that Joseph does decide to quietly divorce Mary, but then Joseph chose a third option, an unconsidered option, marriage. God often shows us that we have more options than we think. Matthew's gospel tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said to him in chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins, unquote. Whew. So Joseph is told who the father is. Now, Joseph is a Jew. Most likely, he knows the scripture. And so therefore, while he probably finds what the angel has told him as pretty incredible, he also most likely knows what Isaiah and the Old Testament had prophesied. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, unquote. Matthew then tells us that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel commanded him and, quote, took Mary home as his wife, and he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus, unquote. Let me give you a little background on Mary and Joseph's probable age and situation. In those days, marriages were arranged by the girl's parents when 
she was as young as 11 or 12, with then the likelihood that she'd be married by the ages of 13 or 14. Boys typically were a little bit older, maybe closer to 18 years of age. And there is a church tradition that Joseph may even have been a bit older and widowed, but we'll cover this in my next podcast. Most biblical scholars think Mary was probably 13 or 14 when Jesus was born. In today's terms, that's an eighth grader. Yikes! Girls were expected to be betrothed, which is what Mary was, which is engaged, and then married by the time they reached puberty. The betrothal period was typically a year, during which time the family of the prospective bride and the groom would spend a lot of energy haggling over what's called the bride's dowry or the bride price. Typically, over the course of this one-year period, the groom would then also be busy building his fiancé's new home. During this time, both the bride and the groom would still live with their own parents. Now, we learn from Luke's gospel, Mary was a virgin, who was pledged to be married, betrothed to be married to this man named Joseph. So, What's the big deal of mentioning the virgin part? You know, in today's society, the virgin moniker may seem a bit old-fashioned and naive. Like, how would they even know, you might ask? Well, during the betrothal process of about one year, the bride and the groom, as I said before, would live separately with their own families. Now, we just learned that it wouldn't necessarily be a big scandal if the bride and the groom had sex before marriage. Now, that's culturally, but the religious expectation was the bride is a virgin when she gets married. In fact, that wedding night, traditionally, the parents of the bride would collect the bed linen that was stained with blood to prove, yep, she was a virgin. And this proof that the girl had been a virgin when she married could then be used later as evidence if any disputes arose. So the bride's family would keep the sheets, (laughs) I know, as evidence, wow. Also a side note, from about 500 BC on, Jewish weddings, they were typically a week-long affair, but the actual consummation of the relationship would be on a Wednesday. So that a husband, if he found his bride was not a virgin, could go to court and lodge a complaint on Thursday because the courts were still open. Because remember, Friday evening at sundown, they would be closed because of the Sabbath. Oh my gosh, you can't make this stuff up. (laughs) We learn in Matthew's account that Joseph took Mary home as his wife, it said. But we learn nothing about their wedding from the gospel accounts. Now, in those days, it seems likely that Mary and Joseph would have known each other since childhood because Nazareth, as I said, was a really small town. But it's really unlikely that Joseph would have proposed to Mary because in those days, marriages were arranged by the parents for the children. And marriage wasn't really so much about love and romance as it was about survival. 
Also, it wasn't merely the individuals who married, but their families, because they kind of came together in mutual support. The Bible talks about many marriages that, of course, result in love, but attraction and romance weren't necessarily there at the beginning. Now, betrothals, which is what Mary and Joseph had at this point, were considered binding contracts. Mary and Joseph, at the beginning of our story, are betrothed to be married. And this is stronger than just sort of a mere promise of marriage. The promise could be set aside, but a betrothal was really considered that final step before marriage. It was a spoken covenant. And this was so interesting what would happen because during the time of Jesus's birth, this betrothal was really a big event. The families of the bride and the groom would get together along with some other people who would be witnesses. And the groom, the young man, would give the young woman either a gold ring or some article of value or maybe just a document in which he promises to marry her. And then he would say something like this, see by this ring or this token, thou art set apart from me according to the law of Moses and of Israel. Now, the betrothal is not the same thing as the wedding because typically a whole year would need to elapse in between. But it's during this period of about a year between the betrothal and the wedding that Mary finds out she's now pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So you've probably heard something called a dowry. In ancient Jewish custom, it was the groom or his family that paid the dowry or the bride price to the father of the bride. Why pay the bride's father? Well, the bride price was basically an acknowledgement that the groom is taking away a daughter. And so there's a loss to the bride's family. The bride's family would be losing a working member of the household. <laughs> Although I think with my family, it was just the opposite. I'm pretty sure my dad considered paying off Jeff just so he could take <laughs> me off his hands. Just kidding. Although at the rehearsal dinner, my dad did say something about the check being in the mail. I don't know. Also, during these ancient times, a part of the dowry was to be set aside for the bride just in case her husband died prematurely. So it was very, very important. Now, although the bride knew to expect her groom after about a year, she didn't know the exact day or hour that he would arrive. Remember, he couldn't just send her a text or a Snapchat and say, hey, I'm ready, let's do this thing. The Bible tells us that the groom could come earlier than a year or a bit later than a year. And it was the father of the groom who actually gave the final approval for him to return to collect his bride. So it was for that reason that the bride kept her oil lamps ready at all times, just in case the groom came at night. 
sounding the shofar, which is that ram's horn, to lead the bridal procession to the home he had prepared for her. And this is what Jesus was talking about in the parable of the 10 virgins. You can find that in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to this special period of waiting time when the groom comes for his bride. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. So here we are today in this season of Advent, in this season of anticipating Christ's end time return. We should be careful to remain alert and prepared for his coming. Keep your lamps lit. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, Unquote. Were Mary and Joseph ready for all that God had in store for them? We know from the Bible that they both had great faith, and that faith carried them through the brightest and the darkest days. Keep your lamps lit. Have a blessed day.